Two quick updates. Number one, on May 11, we are hosting the state championship for high school powerlifting. That's going to be up at Nutria High School. Remember, we do it a little different, folks. We've got uh, four core tenets of our operation. It is character, culture, equity, and service. So everything is team-based. I should mention that as well. We have some of the strongest kids in the state, male and female, from the some of the elite high schools in the state. We've got Whitney Young, Warren, Waukegan, McHenry, representatives from Mundelein, Maine West. Who else? Stag, St. Viator, New Trier, Romeoville. I mean, and the list goes on. It's going to be a blast. We've got some great people coming in. Um, we, Like I say, we do it differently. So if you'd like to see powerlifting done about as well as we think you can do it, uh, stop by and see all these kids supporting one another. Then fast forward, June 9, we've got a slightly different feel. We're doing a 5K. So we've got a race in Harold Washington Park that's in Chicago. 5K to support the project we are having fun assuming the weather cooperates and raising both funds and attention for this great great cause that is continuing to grow and provide value to thousands across the u.s and beyond uh, so if you can make either one of those may 11 nutrier uh Nutrier high school that's my day job those that's where i work there are they are our gracious hosts on may 11 and on june 9 lace up your running shoes come join us for a quick 5k Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Phil Andrews spent 21 years as a special agent in the FBI. He is now principal of something called PAX Group, which is all about navigating crisis and conflict with purpose, preparation, and confidence, and an adjunct professor at DePaul University, and one of the most interesting men on the planet. He's been on undercover investigations and presented all over the world, Africa, the Middle East, and throughout North America. Prior to the FBI, Phil practiced law in Chicago. He went to law school at DePaul University, and his undergraduate years were spent at University of Illinois, where he was a two-time captain of the Illini swim team. You'll hear today, in one of the most compelling conversations I have ever been a part of, that lessons learned as a swimmer about breathing and mental composure got him through one of the most challenging, exciting, and honestly traumatic experiences anyone could encounter. Folks, I I encourage you, you have to listen to the end of this podcast. It gets better as it goes, and like I said, it's a story you will not want to miss. I should also throw in that Phil is a recipient of the U.S. House of Representatives Award for Outstanding Courage and Heroism, an Illinois State Bar Association Service Award winner, and an inductee into the Loyola Academy Athletic Hall of Fame. And my guy Alex has known Phil for how long, Alex? About uh, 10 years now. And tell us about him as a person. Phil is hands down one of the nicest guys you will ever come across in your life. I've been lucky enough to know him, his wife, his entire family. Uh, they grew up across the street from my parents and they, they are just fantastic people through and through. And I'm incredibly lucky to have known them. I've been wanting to have Phil on the podcast for a very long time. So I'm excited that we finally made it happen. We are super grateful for the conversation with Phil the continuing conversation relationship that we will have with Phil within the context of the Good Athlete Project. The world is better for the work that he's put into it and continues to add to it. And like I said, stay with us till the end, folks. This interview with Phil Andrew is one that you will not want to miss. The story I like to tell, and I make uh, I make law enforcement that I've just trained in the concepts of, 
of active listening, mm-hmm. you know, like a specific skill that doesn't, you're doing it right now with your, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like it's okay. like, don't, don't screw it up. Don't sure. judge. Don't get in the way of it. Don't tell your own story during somebody else's story. Right. Like, which is but people, a lot of people just screw that up, but it's really simple. I had, so I, I kind of <clears> hear <throat> the, the heart attack story where that goes, but this, this, um, active listening idea I was on the phone for probably an hour last night talking to a client about exactly that. And this person was, they feel as though they are super high caliber. And I think that they are. They think that they are um, more than their boss in certain ways. Yep. And there's some real tension building there. Um, and and we ultimately, after a while, got to this idea of active listening, um, empathy in all its forms and, and wondering, you know, could you, super talented person who is frustrated at their job, be part of the source of, of this tension. And I think it maybe stems from that, you know, especially in, I'm going to say you, Alex, a millennial, a true millennial. I'm just kidding. But, uh, (laughs) I don't know. You're too old. I think. (laughs) (laughs) You got a beard now. Uh, you know, but, but, um, without going too far down the entitlement road, um, I think we do think highly of ourselves pretty quickly. Yeah. And then that, and that skill falls to the wayside because we get caught up in the proving of that idea. Yeah. Like we're trying to prove that we are as qualified as we think we are or our parents told us. Well, you just get so wrapped up in, I mean, there's so much that says that what, what you have to say is important. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really comes down to uh, first, first seek to understand and then be understood. And for all the things that you just cited, the empathy, the rapport building, the mirroring, I mean, there's a lot of neuro, um, neurological studies behind this yet, mm-hmm. but people, people want to see something they recognize before they're going to trust and appreciate it. And, and that happens all the time. And then when you get into the boss subordinate and the control and the dignity and all that stuff, this is where I spend a lot of time now. This is my space mm-hmm. professionally. I love Isn't that. Maybe, I'd love to hear more about that. Then I, I still right. eventually we got to get back to this heart attack because we don't know if this person lived or yeah. or what. But um, yeah, <clears throat> could, could we linger there for a moment? What are what are some um, what are some skills that you try to teach? Or if someone, if you were to enter the conver- sort of conversation I did last night, what are some things you would try to tease out or give to people? Yeah. Well, first I would listen. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so you, you you sort of lead by example there. Mm-hmm. You've got somebody who is. Um, you know, though be it a low level crisis, you got somebody that's got some anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. They've got, there's some in, un, out of equilibrium right. thing going on with communication or relationship, and they've turned to you. Now, they could be turning to you, you know, to vent, you know, to actually get advice, which is rare. A lot of folks just don't turn to other people for advice. Um, so you're going to listen. And the first thing you're going to key on are the emotions. Mm-hmm. Like, what are, what are you hearing? Or do you hear frustration? Do you hear anger? Do you hear um, uh, hopelessness? Like, you know, ah, it's never going to work out. Do you hear confusion? You know, do you hear excitement? You know, like, yeah, if, if I could just convince my boss, like, this would be the biggest thing ever. And so listen for those emotions and identify them, call them out, mm-hmm. and stay out of the way of the story. Um, we have, we, there's a concept in crisis negotiation that uh, uh, emotions are universal. You know what's you know what it's like to be happy, sad, angry, upset. You know, mm-hmm. despondent. But you don't know the story behind it. What makes me happy is different than what makes you happy. Mm-hmm. And that that's where it's like, hey, I know what you're saying. Well, you don't. Right. You know, you only know the emotion. 
So stay there before you move on. And what happens then is the story gets told and then you find out what those key, those key things that somebody cares about. And it may have been just about respect. Mm-hmm. And you might have heard that mm-hmm. like, hey, what really sounds like you just kind of feel disrespected, you know, or you don't feel heard or understood by your boss, which is different than paycheck or, right. um, you know, you've been undermined or creative liberties or whatever. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that's a very specific thing mm-hmm. that you could build around. But just by listening, you're building the rapport and really um, gaining the credibility to actually be d- deliver on advice. Mm-hmm. But folks aren't ready for advice when they start that, generally. That's so interesting. It's spot on. It's, it's sp- exactly spot on. We have to, we, we, I feel like Alex, this has come up in, comes up in at least half of the conversations. Is that fair? Do you know where I'm going with this? Lisa Feldman Barrett? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, actually an advisor to the project. We were just emailing with her yesterday. Um, she is a professor at Northeastern she wrote a book called How Emotions Are Made. Ah. And she's a neuroscientist, um, a psychologist. She's all sorts of things. And she's amazing. Is, is like one of the best parts. So um, her theory, this theory, the theory of constructed emotion, it's, it's amazing. And I think it's correct. I think it's relevant. Um, and it's, it, in this context, might help to, what I, I use the term, unbraid what's going on. So if the recognition is happy, or hopeless, or whatever it might be, um, that would be sort of the jumping off point. But the way that you or I would construct happiness, that's where the difference comes in. So um, the building blocks to that uh, are completely contextual, individualized, and unique. And that, I think, you, you, you keep, everything you just said was so relevant to what I said, what I was talking about last night, uh, because that sort of, yeah, yeah, I understand notion. Uh, I think it's because people say, yeah, I've been happy before. I get it. Um, but you, all you got to do is, is watch, um, you know, in, any sports pundit and recognize that the, the, the structure of happiness differs all the time. Are you familiar with the, what was it? It was Kyrie Irving, um, Commissioner Silva and Charles Barkley. Does this ring a bell at all? Yeah. Okay. And it's like, Charles Barkley's like, what do these guys have to be upset about? They, they're in fancy hotels. They're, they're making all this money. How could they possibly be upset? And, um, Commissioner Silver I think did a little, a lot of that listening, a lot of active listening to his players. And he was like, we are in this subtle sort of low simmering hotbed of anxiety because of social media and the way that our attention is tugged at, you, you know, in a way that's never been tugged at before. And these guys, these guys with, I don't know, 50 million followers are, they're feeling, they're the ones feeling the brunt of it in a way that you and I probably don't understand. Yeah. So it's, it's just interesting stuff. It is. It is. Well, it really, you know, whether you're talking about athletic performance, you're talking about, you know, job satisfaction, you're Mm -hmm. talking about quality relationships. It's at the heart of them all. There's no doubt. Yeah. And and that's why, um, so the Good Athlete Project started for a reason. It was recognizing that um, athletics was probably the most powerful learning platform that exists in the society as we know it. It had all of these really interesting components already in it, novelty, um, cooperation, groupthink, um, something called exercise-induced neural enhancement, all of these you know, elements of play, all these really important things from a neurological perspective. But what we found recently, and I, I want to hear what you think about this in law enforcement and stuff like that, um, is that the undercurrent uh, of, of what's kind of throwing people off course is almost universal. So it always comes back to some version of stress. 
or, or feeling overwhelmed or feeling disconnected from a community, but they're all pretty much tied together. It's this like low level anxiety that has the potential to uh, simmer and, and ricochet and turn into something much worse if we don't solve it. So especially in law enforcement, <clears throat> could you tell us a little bit about how you uh, about how that plays out? Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of metaphor there with sport, mm-hmm. uh, athletics and law enforcement, um, because um, one, it's like you're always out performing. Like you think of a, mm-hmm. uh, a cop on a patrol or an FBI agent that's now working a case, and they're they're supposed to be practicing skills that they learned, and that uh, hopefully are, are are producing you know um, predictable outcomes. Mm-hmm. But the, the 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 variables are there that the the environment is always changing, and there is tons of un recognized emotion, both in the practitioner, the law enforcement officer, and the community, and then the whole ecosystem of uh, the institution of law enforcement, you know, my coworkers, what is my place? I mean, how's that? It's not really different than being on the line of a football team Mm -hmm. or the, um, you know, the defensive team. So what's my place on the defensive team? Would I lose my position? You know, what do I need to project and accomplish to keep my position. And my mm-hmm. position may be as as tangible as like, hey, I'm a sergeant. I don't want to get fired as a sergeant. Or it could be as like, hey, I'm a respected guy. Like, I don't, And what I project and the image of me both feeds my confidence, but also affects the relationships around me. Mm-hmm. Am I somebody that people trust? Do people have confidence in my skill set? And so if you make a mistake... Um, one, it could affect your ego really quick. Mm-hmm. You make a mistake. And these are environments where, where mistakes are really not tolerated. Right. right. You know, that if you make a mistake, you are subject to ridicule. So you could feel a lot of shame. Um, so you, you might want to bury that mistake or you don't want to make that mistake in front of a, a lot of people. And to your right. point, we're at, a, we're at a place now where, look, this is really tricky work. This yeah. is all human interaction None of it has predictable outcomes. Right. You try to do the best you can and you bring your best self to these interactions, but that takes a lot of training. Yeah. It's, it is actually about performance sport. Mm-hmm. So when you think about somebody that's just getting ready to be on the street, well, what if they've got stressors themselves? It's mm-hmm. got unrelated. What if they've got a sick parent? Totally. You know, what if, they, what if their own kid is giving them a lot of trouble? You know, they've got a teenager in the house that they're worried about. They're right. worried about the, their grades. Uh, or they've got their own health issue or a financial issue. So they approach the street and they've already got stressors, but they're supposed to you know, perform at this high level. So I don't mm-hmm. see that really as different as, no. as the criticism of somebody showing up like, what these guys got to complain about? They're right. making $50 million right. and they're staying in these fancy hotel rooms. That doesn't mean they don't have stress. Totally. And, and that is to, to the point of, all right, let's understand it. Right. Like you seem like you're, you've got anxiety. What's going on with you? Right. And not judging the story of like, well, you know what I'm worried about? I'm worried about these investments or I'm worried about my wife or I'm worried about my kid. And guess what? If you're worried about your kid, it really doesn't matter how much money you're making. Fancy hotel rooms. Yeah. Yeah. Nearly around. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, that's so right. We do something. We call it an interoception survey. So when we, when we will go into um, – I wonder if there's a place for this in law enforcement – Anyway, we go into a place and we try to close what we call a messaging gap. And, and we say like, okay, we believe that the coach 
is we assume immediately the coach is well-intended, thoughtful, and a good coach. Now we'll support the coach as needed, you know, and that's wonderful. But what we've recognized is that perhaps the 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 bridge that we have to cross more often than not is a messaging divide. So like if a coach is saying one thing, if the sergeant is giving one direction, but it's not being well received by the people who have to go and act on that direction, that's a gap we have to close. And it could be lack of understanding. It could be presentation on behalf of the person delivering the information, but it could very legitimately be that this person was up all night with a crying baby yeah, and they didn't sleep all night. You know what I mean? And, and these sort of, very human components are are often disregarded or dismissed as as not important. But um, you know the bedrock concept of our framework is eat, move, sleep, and and all you got to do to recognize how important those are is go without them for a little while. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting that you say that. But especially, my gosh, we we um, and I'm reflecting on a guy, Kevin Corley, who's a very good friend of mine. Um, he's also, he writes some curriculum for some of the tutoring that we do at, with the Good Athlete Project. He's a firefighter and a detective and an educator. So he's all these things. And I cannot imagine that guy coming from, say, two days at the firehouse um, and coming in and being as patient as he is with the kids at school when, we, when, we, when we're working with kids. But then I take it one step further and I'm like, holy cow. If he is in a sleep-deprived state, say, let's just go with sleep because it's a kind of a resonant and poignant uh, idea. And then has to go make one of those split-second second decisions that you hear about on the news. Uh, he's already in an incredibly degraded state. I, take that wherever you want to go. But that's, I mean, I mean, that's in the public consciousness immensely. And like you said, whether it's, a, whether it's an angry teen at home or sleep deprivation or whatever, how do you talk to people about, I guess, for lack of a better term, self-care yeah, when right. entering these situations. Well, that's so, that becomes so much about this. It, when you're asking people to make changes, yeah. you know, like you show up and you say, hey, we got a messaging. There's some sort of gap here, but mm. coach isn't getting along with the team. You know, um, any, any organization or community that's experiencing some sort of conflict, mm-hmm. and when you look at it and you say, wow, they're, like, this guy's well-intended, and... The, and these the performers want to do a good job. Sure. So what's the problem here? And you've identified some of those things that you know affect that. Mm-hmm. But at the heart of it is when you when when you're 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 looking to make a change in the way somebody is communicating or the way somebody is interacting, mm-hmm. it's it starts right there with self care. Yeah. Like how are you going to change your behavior? How are you going to change your habit? And that that that's where the sports metaphor is really. Um, powerful mm-hmm. but I, but i don't think sort of universally accepted that hey if you're going to make this change you've got to take a big step back and you got to be well rested right, right. because right it's not if you're doing this on four hours sleep it's going to be harder and um and then what are you get what little basic things are you going to do that are going to change that and that's that's not different than you know running an offense mm-hmm. or you know, perfecting somebody's stroke in swimming, you know, like those little nuanced things that you have to slow down to correct, and then you're allowed to speed back up. So we're going to walk through this play, right? And we're going to look at this play, and yeah. we're gonna we're gonna start running this play, and then we're gonna start putting a defense on this play, mm-hmm. and now we're gonna go, you know, full contact on right. this, where you know your pattern, you know you've got to get out behind this other guy, and you know what the timing is, and you. But that is habit building. And we know sure. there's a lot of science out there what it takes to build a habit. Mm-hmm. 
it takes time. Yep. But you can accelerate that if you show up present, mm-hmm. rested, you know, mindful, um, using some of these other things that we really have not embraced about, hey, you know, are you, are you meditating on this for a minute? You know, are you writing this down? Um, how is it that you're using all the faculties that you have to kind of change your behavior mm-hmm. for a moment that you want to perform differently? So that, what, what that coach does in the next interaction, how is he prepared for that next interaction? I always use the analogy when, I, when, I, when I'm training crisis negotiators. I always talk about the, the thing that pisses me off the most, that I know that I get upset about when, when I'm doing reentry at home. Now, I can do all kinds of tough things with really tough circumstances professionally. Mm-hmm. But when I come home and I pull in the driveway and I've, got, I've, I've started to build up what's going to happen in the house, and when I come in the back door and a backpack is, is literally blocking the, right. the, the, the door. So what does that say to me? It says that somebody came in, didn't do any of the things I asked them to do. Yep. They haven't opened their backpack, so no homework has been done. Mm-hmm. And I got to go hunt them down in the house to get them back on track on what it is. And, and, and now I leap immediately to this idea that my kid's going to be living in a van by a river. <laughs> right, right. Right. So because they're not, because the backpack yeah. is a door, that's, that is a, that is a signal mm-hmm. that their whole life that they're going to be a screw up. Right. And it, is any of that true? No, mm-hmm. no. And it's not recognition that they've got their own day mm-hmm. and that they've, they've had to put in this long day at school right. and that school, school, just like, yeah, Hey man, you're at a great school. Yeah. You know, We've paid a lot of money for your great school. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people there that are, are, are making school. You, you don't have school like other people have school. Right. You know, you want to go to a bad school? I can show you what a bad school looks like. Right, right. Like you should be doing great and be appreciative. But the truth is, is that it's, it's hard. It's emotionally exhausting. By the time they get in the door, this is all they got. Now, yeah. now it would take those same um, uh, habit-forming uh, practice mm-hmm. for them to stop dropping their bag at the door but it also takes me some habit forming practice to to take a moment in the car before i get out and say what what how do i want to be when i right. who, who am i going to be when i walk in the deck and i'm going to be the guy yelling about the backpack or i'm going to be the guy hey how was your day right like an open-ended active listening mm-hmm. hey i care about you like what's up with you i like that a lot um, that's important. So mindfulness is a concept I think is, um, again, one of those sort of universals. I don't think we can get away from the fact that our physiological state impacts our psychology and the way we interact with people and all that stuff. The very next step in that is, is mental health and, and focused attention in something called mindfulness in the world that you're in. Are people receptive to that idea of mindfulness? Do you have to kind of hide it from them? Or, do, you know, what we found is um, sometimes with coaches, sometimes with high-level athletes, that just hearing the word mindfulness, you get a little bit of pushback. It sounds too soft for them. Yeah. Have you recognized that? Yes. Yeah. Look, the, the, the whole sports and law enforcement are built on um, uh, hiding weakness, mm-hmm. showing strength, um, and... Um, not letting things affect you, right? Mm-hmm. That that's what that those are the things that we um, right. lift up. Like, hey, he nothing affects him. Mm-hmm. You know, look how yep. strong he yep. is. You know, he's unstoppable. Um, he can control situations. So we put such a premium on 
um, performance and strength. And what we what we we m- mitigate is that look, they're they're still regular people that still have the same issues that and uh, concerns. When we when we think about that, I think there are some universal human uh, uh, needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and they basically come down to everybody wants a level of control. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants a level of dignity. Everybody wants a sense of co- accomplishment. They want a sense of recognition, a sense of identity. And, um, and when you start breaking that down, like in, in a workplace or on an athletic field, if, it, if, if everything is based on um, the projection of strength and I can do it, coach, as opposed to Hey coach, I'll, I'm going to show up every time yeah. and, and, and I'm adjusting my attitude in a way that I can take feedback Yeah, that criticism's okay because I see that strengthening me. You know, like this is the place where criticism and mistakes are celebrated mm-hmm. because we're going to go to another place where we, we can't afford as many mistakes. So, so this is the place to make all those mistakes and uh, try new things and be creative mm-hmm. because on the, on the playing field, you, you, don't, you don't have the luxury of the decision-making of being as creative right? Uh, and because you've got to function within you know, a, a strategy mm-hmm. and that's where things go wrong right. the most. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, but the, the, the culture is such that you, even in training, there is a fear of making a, sh- a mistake you know, yep. for the shame or the embarrassment that it might bring. And it's not really different than the kid raising their ha- hand in a classroom. Oh, yeah, that's and right. And like, hey, I'm, I got a question about this problem. Oh, you idiot. There, we already covered that. What about, right. well, I don't know. I mean, I, right. I, I looked outside and saw, you know, something cool out the window. So I'm going to turn back to this. But you know what? I'm not afraid to throw my hand up and say, I, I don't right. know what you're talking about. Right. And guess what? A kid that, that advocates for themselves and builds that relationship where like, hey, I'm not afraid to ask, ask my hand and say, I don't know what this was. Right. They're the ones that are going to benefit. And, and yeah. they will build on that. No question. And I think that, and the group will build on that. We actually had this moment yesterday. I love the timing of this. I think if your eyes are open, these things align. Um, we had a big group in yesterday. We had rain outside. We were supposed to go outside. We brought the whole group in. We had uh, three or four different sports, variety of different ability levels, varsity football, varsity basketball. Our bowlers are new to the weight room. So uh, just a, a, a big spread there. And we, every time we would give direction and break up into our own little pods, there would be a, a moment of excitement, then a moment of recognition where people are like, well, maybe I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do now that I'm alone. And then, and then a moment of chatter all around the room. So we're like, look, this is not how it's going to go anymore. It's not going to be this low buzz of questions and like whispering to your friend, what are we supposed to do now? Uh, we're going to stop. One person is going to ask the question. We are going to address it as a group. And then that's, and that's it. And, you know, so, so recognizing, I think, uh, your classroom, uh, metaphor is a good one. Um, you weren't the only one looking out the window when the, when they addressed yeah, the Pythagorean right. theorem, you know, <laughs> other people have this question too. So instead of this, instead of hiding the idea, instead of putting on the face of, I already get it, I understand it, the yeah, yeah response um in in the real world um we pause recognize like you said this is a more low stakes version of this whole thing so on the test you can't clarify take this opportunity to like be vulnerable clarify and i think if we can empower people to recognize that you're not only helping yourself and reaching your own top maxing your own potential but you are helping other people through this too maybe maybe not everyone else is quite as willing to 
throw themselves out there yet, but you could be, Brian. So, so do this for the group. Uh, I think it's interesting. And it actually worked out really well yesterday. Yeah, Straight. I think that's a great point. I, I'm, um, I've, I've got a catchphrase. Yeah, that, uh, love catchphrases. That the um, organizations or individuals that focus on creating physical and emotional safety mm-hmm. get better outcomes. And if you, if you, I, you know, so I spend a lot of time in the safety and security space. So if, if I'm talking to a corporation or a school and I say, hey, look, the, the people in your building, mm-hmm. if, they, if they feel physically and emotionally safe, they're going to do better. And I, th- I think it's true that you yeah. can say that of a, of a team. You know, some, mm-hmm. some, and, and you run into it all the time where uh, a coach or a leader or a, uh, you know, a principal or a corporate leader, you know, it's, it's fear. Mm-hmm. They want oh, people yeah. reacting to, hey, right. if you do something, it's going to be punitive. I'm going to make an example of mm-hmm. you and you'll be, you're going to be humiliated. So folks are worried. And, and the, the anxiety that that brings does not necessarily always bring optimal attention, yep. you know, where they're learning because to your point of, hey, we want, we want a place where you're really thinking about how, how you can bring your creative skill, your unique ability, your unique body type, your unique mm-hmm. to this task, you know, that we're trying to accomplish in the room. Yeah. So when folks stop worrying about making a mistake, when they mm-hmm. stop worrying about the humiliation, mm-hmm. and those are, those, I, I would submit it at, at this point in my life, yeah. I, I believe that sort of psychological or mm-hmm. emotional harm we we protect ourselves from way more than physical harm. Hmm. We we don't walk the streets worried about getting beat up. Yeah. Um, we we do walk the streets worrying about our reputation hmm. or our dignity or our identity. How being, do I look right now? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Which is which, but it it ignites the same response. So we've got a really right. well developed right. <clears throat> system for fight or flight. Yep. And um, <clears throat> the more uh, it's taxed by mm-hmm. this sense of like, hey, I'm worried about who I am. Right. It, it, uh, it really uh, uh, degrades our performance. Lisa, again, I'll bring her up, calls it the casual brutality. I love that term, casual brutality of the it's modern a great way world. way to describe it's it. Of, yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, it's constant slow and low level judgment potentially or the perception that you're being judged with it, which is just as it's the same thing yeah whether you being are being judged actually or you just think that you're being judged you're at this slow simmering low level of stress at almost all times casual brutality i think it's amazing yeah and it makes me think also especially in law enforcement um the ability to sort of adjust adapt and improvise i think that is the ability if i'm not mistaken there are a few anchor components just like playing on a defense you know this is my gap this is my assignment this is the coverage behind me but the ability to read and react to exactly what's in front of you that is the thing there you know nothing goes beyond that essentially you don't want a bunch of robots on the field or in law enforcement otherwise we would have gone the way of a sci-fi movie yeah um yeah these are all really dynamic circumstances you need well-intentioned good decision makers mm -hmm. Not robots. That's right. The robots produce really bad outcomes. Holy cow. Okay, so that might, <clears throat> you just hit it. So just simply good decision makers. If you yeah, is that what you want on the field? That, you know? Yeah. And you, you can tell immediately um, good coaching from 
uh, amateur or um, uh, not mature coaching mm-hmm. on how much a coach is yelling. Hmm. Okay. You, know, like you go to a you go to a, a practice field or you you know you go to a weekend soccer uh-huh. somewhere on the North Shore and yeah. you see how many coaches are yelling for their yeah. where a player should be on there in position and how many coaches are calling timeouts right. and talking to kids about right. you know wh- where they were and and if if the point was is for a coach to yell where everybody was supposed to be that's a very right. different game than players seeing action and reaction. Sure. And the timing that it takes, you know, right. for a coach to see it, tell a player, and it's then a player to get right. it. That's and right. like, what does that mean in the circumstance that I'm in? Right. Does he mean run forward or back? You know? Right. Like it's an impossible, <laughs> it's impossible to communicate that. That's right. And this, and, I've, and I've been on the sideline, I've been on the field for all of this. And it's like, as soon as you can see it, say, you know, for the coaches listening, as soon as you see it, process it, and try to formulate a way to communicate it to the kid who's on the field, and then he has to under hear you process it, and then re, and survey the field, and then react. It's just it's you can't communicate it. Now I I I yell sometimes. Um, I don't think you can avoid yelling in the football field partially because of distance, partially yep. because of noise, but um, intensity and and high level <laughs> communication uh, and and like you mentioned before trying to instill fear in people just do this because I said so or else yeah or those, excitement those are, you or know excitement, you, yeah. you, you know you see a lot of coaches that just take it up an octave mm-hmm. to you know try to try to put energy right. in the next moment right you know I don't yeah. think it's so fear it is like hey right I see it I felt like mm-hmm. if you made those next four steps, hard yeah like it would so, have been you know yeah. go right. you know right. it, like yeah right. maybe it works but mostly it doesn't <laughs> i think maybe it works mostly it doesn't and that's that's important because a lot of coaches hearing this are gonna this is going to be a resonant moment for them i think because um there is a difference between if i know alex can do this and he knows what to do if i'm if i'm very confident in that part then maybe the juice makes him puts a little uh fire behind him when he does it but if you're yelling to try to control the ch- the chess pieces on the field, that that certainly does not work. Yeah. Well, um, I wonder how many coaches have actually asked their athletes. Did you hear me? Hmm. Did you hear yeah. me out there? Yeah. Um, I, I, I coach swimming. Yeah. I've, I've got kids who are swimmers. So yeah. I, I've felt it all, mm-hmm. you know, like the athlete that I've worked with and the kid that, you know, is, is uh, you know, carrying my brand, right? You know, right. it's carrying all the emotional baggage of like, hey, you know, accomplish what dad couldn't. Um, <laughs> and when I yell go, yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's mostly just for me. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> because I ask him, hey, you know, the crowd kind of went wild. Yeah. Did you? Uh, dad, I didn't hear anything. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm not in that. I'm, not, uh, you're, I'm in a totally different zone. And I'm under the water. Yeah. Like, yeah. But yeah. the amount of yelling that takes place uh, yeah. at a yeah. swimming meet. Right. You know, like. like Even in the state championship <laughs> for swimming recently. It is loud. It's loud. Yeah, yeah. it is. Um, that's so interesting. And, and swimming, I, I, I knew a little bit about your swimming experience. When you mentioned habits, there might not be a place where small incremental growth and and establishing sound habits matters more than swimming. Like you said, if, if only because if you're if the angle of entry to the water is off by a couple degrees, it, like I could never see it. I don't know if you could, but if you did it over the course of 500 meters, that would add up very quickly, even a 50. Yep. You know what I mean? If you're trying to apply p- 
power, you know, if you're trying to use the water and, and apply power, um, those subtle differences matter. That subtle habit switch. And there's how could you ever do that without being mindful and intentional? And right. Things that you've mentioned. Yeah, it's it's pretty funny because it's it's almost like in, in, it still comes down to putting all those things together. You know, the the bringing the emotion and the head mm-hmm. and race day yeah. to matching that with some confidence that I've done this. Right. I, I trained for this. Mm-hmm. And I, I used to think that that athletes should be really pumped up, mm-hmm. you know, to, to drive up the adrenaline for mm-hmm. performance. And where I've netted out now is that it's really much more of a calm mm-hmm. excitement yeah. that I'm excited to do this. I'm nervous. I'm a little frightened, but I've done the work. Yeah. And guess what? You did the work for six months. Right. Right. And there's not some change that you can implement today. Right. That's yeah. that's going to be successful, particularly now that the stakes are high, your heart mm-hmm. rates up, mm-hmm. you know, your pupils have narrowed, right. and this is it, and you're going to fall back on something brand new. Yeah, you know, the, the the one thing that the coach shouted to you, right, is is going to get implemented. And, last yeah, minute, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, and you see it play out. The kids that drive the walls, you know, like Michael Phelps, mm-hmm. the the really high performing um, aquatics athletes, mm-hmm. you you see them winning at the wall. And then you and you talk to a, a coach, or you you know you you read them talking about, it. I practiced, finished, you know, at, at in every repeat that I did, mm-hmm. or I would do these fourteen of these at the end of every practice. Right. It's not different than the you know the right. basketball program that says we shoot a lot of free throws, you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. We don't. We every day we spend time on free throws because yeah. you know we don't want to miss free throws. Yeah. So you made it a priority. You put the time in. And you, you made those nuanced changes that now are available when your heart rate is right, high. Right. And, and the, the analogy there with law enforcement is, and really any performance is, is, um, is so real that you are um, what you trained. And you don't bring something new to a circumstance suddenly. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's true of us in life, you know. I don't think that that heroes happen in a moment. Right. Heroes happen because they've trained a skill set. Right. And guess what? At this moment, it mattered, and they right. were able to deliver. Yeah, I love that. I'm gonna make that into a meme or something. What skills are available <laughs> when your heart rate is high? I mean, it's just so right. There is a there. This is generally a um, attributed to Navy SEALs, but they talk about um, you never rise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. You sink to your level of training. Totally right. And I, I was just out on, on something the other day where it was like, where I just made the differentiator or, or identified physical and psychological. I think, and that's kind of uh, something that needs to be recognized. This is uh, spot on. So this is, this is in the podcast world what we call a, a seamless transition. You were talking about <laughs> swimming. We, people swim at the beach. We started with a story at the beach where someone's heart rate was high or funky Heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'll, I'll give you the, the quick version of this. And, sure. and uh, look, this is, this is me, me going out on a limb to make a point sure. about um, how we take care of ourselves and self-care. Yeah. So uh, right, right here in uh, Wilmette a few years ago, uh, I'm finishing up a day at the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, the context here is important that um, this particular 4th of July weekend, my brother's son, my nephew, has mm-hmm. taken 
all of the cousins to his house. Mm-hmm. And he's having cousin camp. So all four of my kids are away for four days. Mm-hmm. And my wife and I are alone in our house for four days in the summer. And literally, we dropped the kids at the, the pickup point, mm-hmm. and we went and had lunch, and we made a list of fun things that we were going to do while we were on our own. We were going to go downtown and have dinner. We were going to go ride our bikes downtown. We were going to have a porch party. We literally sent an email out to as many people as we knew and said, hey, we're going to have a party on our porch. Yeah. And, and, and people were like, hey, we're, we're, we're coming. Yeah. So uh, we, uh, we spent a day at the beach, and we sailed. And so as we were coming off the beach, um, there's, a, there's a cry for help. You look around, not sure. Obviously, your eyes go to the water when you hear something. Mm-hmm. You're, uh, there's nothing there. There's another cry out. Look up. Somebody's, somebody's gone down behind their car. Mm-hmm. I run up to the scene. There's no uh, breathing. There's no pulse. So I start doing CPR. And, um, you know, there's folks around. And immediately, I know that I'm vested in this. Mm-hmm. I, like, I grew up a lifeguard. I've known CPR my whole life. This is the first right. time that I'm on anything but a doll, you know, right. and, uh, and I'm doing this for real. Mm-hmm. And the noises and the sounds and, and the, the stakes are real. Mm-hmm. Now I got a guy's life in my hands. At mm-hmm. least that's the way I feel. So I'm totally vested. And now I'm actually thinking that if this guy doesn't make it, it's going to crush me. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and if I had left the beach 15 minutes earlier, It'd just be like, oh, man, that's something terrible that happened. Yeah. You know, I wonder if I knew him. But now it's like deeply personal. So mm-hmm. I'm vested in this. Long story short, um, we're doing CPR for several minutes. The beach staff responds. They get a defibrillator. The defibrillator saves his life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we, doing CPR, we fed his brain right. with uh, blood right. and oxygen. And uh, the guy is, is literally audible before he gets... Uh, in the ambulance. I can hear him talking and uh, there's a quick celebration of like, wow, oh my gosh, you know, and the adrenaline is still high. Sure. Like just breathing and I can almost feel the soreness because I stopped breathing while I was doing CPR. Right. And it turns out that it's, you know, doing that for a few minutes is, you know, yeah, yeah. It's like being wrestling, you know, like Mm -hmm. in a hold that. So, um, so my wife says, oh my gosh, we got people coming to the house in just a few minutes. So we race home, we get the, the, the drinks on ice, we get the food out, uh, we shower, you know, we open the place up and people start arriving. And it's a, it's a really fun night. Like it's a warm summer night and our house shows well, we show well, my wife's wearing a beautiful red dress and uh, the party goes great. And then the, the night comes to an end, folks filter out and we've got that. So we clean up a little bit and it's my wife and I alone in the house and she's in a beautiful red dress. And I say, hey, this is it. So we get it on. <laughs> and my wife says, what's wrong? So something's gone wrong yeah. in the moment. Yeah. And uh, so we take a break and we start talking about what happened earlier. And we start talking about what happened at the beach. Wow. And it was, it was just, and we revisit this, this amazing critical incident mm-hmm. that we we both sort of participated in and and he, so here's the moral of the story that critical incidents any time that there is a high anxiety incident yeah that you got to talk about it that you have to do a post briefing on this and there's no way around it whether it's good outcomes or bad outcomes mm-hmm. 
you need to express it and you need to talk about it or it pops up in really unexpected ways. Right, right. <laughs> or it doesn't right. pop up. I hear as you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. this is me humiliating myself a little bit no. and, and I make for, up for it, you know, grandly the next day. Sure. But, uh, <laughs> but the point of the story is, yeah. is that stuff happens in life yeah. and it has really high level um, uh, emotional uh, impact mm-hmm. and we've got to talk about it. So, um, and the only way through that is through engagement of, of somebody that you can trust to say, Hey, something happened in my life. I want to talk this out. And it's not for getting judgment or, but just to express, wow, that was so intense. Mm -hmm. That was so intense. And what I really wanted to say is how worried I was once I started doing CPR, that this guy was going to die under my hands. That little sort of nuance of, of the story. Yeah, that transition from practitioner of CT, CPR to someone who's very vested in the, in the life of this person he has his hands on, that you wouldn't even think that necessarily. That's really interesting. That is, uh, so we, we I'm, gl- I'm really glad to hear someone with your credibility say that because I feel like I bore people because I want to debrief everything. Yeah. You know, after every... After every session, after every game, after everything, after every podcast, I want to debrief. I want to say what went well and what did we like and and all that sort of. Is this fair? Yeah. Do I run the risk of boring people sometimes? Certain people, yeah. <laughs> Not you. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. But um, I, and it's but more than just exactly. the tactics, right? It's also about how do we feel about that? Yeah. How do we feel exactly. walking off that field? Right. Or how did we feel about our performance there? Yeah. Right. And how do we feel about our interactions? Right. You know, did we get on each other or did we stay tough? Was right. that just a better team than us? Right. Did, did it feel good to play really well right. and still get beat? Or did it feel like, man, we got beat mm-hmm. and we're falling apart? Yeah. You know, I'm pissed at him. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that he's working as hard. Mm-hmm. And like, that stuff's got to come out. It's got it. Right. You know, like, you know, coach, you made some bad calls there. Right. Or it maybe was stuff that happened that wasn't even on the field, you know, that, that, that mm-hmm. somebody in the group has lost credibility because of some perception created right. that may or may not be true. Right. But it's it's got to be sorted out. And the only way to do that is through engagement. That's it's it. gotta be dialogue. It, it's gotta be sorted out. And and the may or may not be true thing is especially important <laughs> because how many times we talk about it when we talk to kids, we're like, I don't know, you probably are too busy and intelligent to uh, engage with your phone as often as, as we do or our kids do. Um, but if you send a text message and the punctuation is off in yep. some way, like you don't, you either add a period or don't add a period that means something, or at least so people think, you know, one thing that we bring up, um, trying to push this thoughtfulness and mindfulness forward when we talk to kids is how many people have you had fantastic interaction with when you are face to face? How many people like, do you trust and in some way love and care about and, and are you vested in? And then all of a sudden there is a uh, detached form of communication, say a text message that didn't give exactly what you wanted or expected. Uh, how many times have you taken that person in your mind to another place and sort of ruminated on this idea or what you thought they were trying to tell you uh, and only to find out a week later that, that it, there was no problem at all? You know, that happens incredibly regularly. So if, if yeah. for no other reason than to iron out um, the right or wrong, is this true or not? You've got to uncover it. And we use, yeah. not to go off on too much of a tangent, but we, we, we're talking about health and wellness. It's like, um, it's like an in, in injury, like if you get a, a cut, 
if you don't expose the thing to the air, all sorts of things can fester, right? And, and, and I think that metaphor probably holds. You've got to expose this to the air. We can't promise that we're going to solve this, but I promise you if we don't try and, and expose it and try to unbraid it and name it and engage with it, that it, the problem will not get solved. And more likely than not, it's going to turn to something it didn't need to be. Yeah. So We have salmon in crisis negotiation. The unexpressed emotion never dies. Writing it down. <laughs> the unexpressed that's that's right right the unexpressed emotion never dies okay i have something okay so how do you put that into action i'm a police officer and being tough and and holding steady is is something that i really value um and i'm feeling hopeless i'm feeling anxious i bit, i saw something or i had to use my weapon three whatever it was how do i express that sort of emotion safely you know contributing to the psychological safety of my team or the department how do how would you advise someone to actually do that yeah yeah without without a culture that and that has created the time and the and the place mm -hmm. and the models where that exists it's really difficult right um i think that folks are doing that successfully in in those environments that don't make that a priority mm -hmm. are finding another outlet they're probably finding mm -hmm. it outside of law enforcement, you know, some, right. a neighbor, a friend, a relative. Yeah. Um, you know, in my own circumstance, I've got a brother who's a police officer. He's mm -hmm. across the country. I could talk to him. You know, he get he gets it. He understands, he understands the concept. Um, and we too, even, at, even as much as we care and love about each other, if he jumps on, oh, dude, I know what you mean. Mm -hmm. You know, here's what you ought to do. This is how I could fix that problem for you. Right. Or here's how you fix your problem. Even there, I'm like, oh man, right? I, I, I didn't go to the right place, yeah. You know, or or vice versa. When mm -hmm. I, what you really want is somebody to validate, listen non-judgmentally, mm -hmm. and understand what it is. Identify those emotions, and and it and it's true that those those universal needs of control and safety and security mm -hmm. and uh, dignity they exist in everybody in every yeah. circumstance. So you know. Uh, in, in a law enforcement interaction where maybe you felt vulnerable or maybe mm. you just were, maybe it was scary or maybe you didn't know what to do next. Right. Or maybe you knew what to do next, but the policy or the, the, the on-scene commander or mm. the crowd or the, the, the victim or the, they didn't let, allow you to do what it is you needed to do. I wanted to help them. I thought I was helping them, but something else was happening mm -hmm. here. And, and um, you know, we've got these preconceived notions about what that looks like. You know, somebody yelling can seem very threatening. Mm -hmm. But somebody yelling could also be the right response mm -hmm. to a certain emotion. You know, now hitting somebody because you're upset, that's right. not, that's, that, we, we, we all got to agree that that's right. in, inappropriate. Right. You know, that's wrong. Right. But, but yelling about something that you care deeply about mm -hmm. is, might be, the right response and it matters a lot about how that's received yeah. so if you're upset about something and start yelling and i tell you to calm down mm -hmm. doesn't that feel like an like a punch in the face yeah 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 you're right as opposed to like hey i can tell you're upset yeah what, what happened what are we yelling about yeah, <laughs> yeah. what happened yeah. Yeah, yeah you know so just going to a really open-ended hey like hey you shouldn't be upset about that let me right. tell you what's real what what's what here and, and the, usually what we're bringing there is our own narrative to mm -hmm. it. Like you got a kid that's upset and he throws his helmet down. You know, you don't want him to show that way. Mm -hmm. Hey, look, that's embarrassing to me and the team. And this is a, that's, you know, 
Yeah. But um, not not that we want to embrace that, but getting behind the what what is behind that? Right. You know, hey, I was frustrated with this, or I didn't. I knew we shouldn't have called that play. Right. Well, that's a different thing to be dealt with off the field. Right. But not right now. You know, we right. get ourselves in this power struggle. Yeah, that's right. And 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 I'm thinking, and and where are those lines? Because I, I'm thinking of what I would do in that situation. I would say the throwing of the helmet. That's like throwing a blow. I'm, I, my instinct would be like, no, we don't we don't do that. Yeah, it's like hitting somebody. But then I, I think the really important part that maybe people aren't always doing is the digging just after. So yeah, we don't do that. Pick your freaking helmet up. That's not something that we do here. Period. And then you know once the the dust settles just a little bit. And now dig in and say, and, and what, what brought us to that point? How can we get ahead of that in the future? Um, that's an important thing that I hope people yeah. listen to. Yeah, because I, th- I think it's because we do run the risk of, you know, we don't want to get pushed into the category of we're not holding people accountable. Yeah. So there are certain like, no, we don't do that enough. Uh, but the, the, the meeting a human being in their space thereafter, you yeah. know, quickly after, that does not make you soft. You can be both tough and kind. That's yes. kind of one of our taglines. Yeah. Um, so I think that's important. And, and I think what you're recognizing there is that if, let's just use the analogy of a thrown helmet. Mm-hmm. It's still learned, trained behavior. And, and there, is, there is accountability it in the came moment, from somewhere, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that has to be trained just like you're talking about that hand movement in a swim mm-hmm. or the play. Like, hey, when you're upset, right. what is your next move? Mm-hmm. And, and do you take a deep breath? Because I'll tell you that when, when tactical teams like Navy SEALs, when, when they feel themselves becoming overwhelmed mm-hmm. and not making good decisions, because when we're upset, when we're angry, and when we're afraid, we, don't, we know it's evidence-based out there that we don't make the best decisions. Right. So what could you do to, to, to manage yourself mm-hmm. differently? And that's, again, a learned, trained skill that, hey, you feel this coming on? I, f- I know I'm caught. What are, what are the signs yeah. of you being upset? What are the signs of you being you know, uh, disappointed? Right. And, and what are the skills that you impl- I- employ yeah. then to get a different outcome? So what would a Navy SEAL do? If he felt himself, you know, it's funny. It's all the same stuff. It comes back to breathing. Yeah. Mindfulness. Mm -hmm. They call it, you know, tactical breathing. Yeah. That's it. There you go. Physiologically resetting breaths that, you know, you could do in seconds that reset the mind. And, and, and we know more about the science now that that's important. Right. right. You can prove it out. So, What about, you know, you got a business meeting or you, you know, that that's going wrong. You know, people say, Hey, take a breath. Well, you know, I feel justified in this. I shouldn't Mm -hmm. have to take it. Like all the things we build in to make an excuse of not doing the one thing that we always have control over. Right. And what's the one thing that we always have control over? No matter what the circumstance is our own reaction. Yes. But I'm going to tell you that you only have control over that reaction if you've prepared, if you've trained, you know, there's so no quite, you, if have you haven't, trained if, focus. yeah, if you haven't, if you haven't trained for an onside kick, right. If you haven't practiced for it. And the first time you see it is like, Oh man, like I didn't run there. Right. Like, what does right. it look like? What does it feel like? Oh man. We, I, I saw, um, I pulled this up cause I want to show you something. I, 
one of the most frustrating moments I have had in coaching was a very subtle thing like that. It was an onside kick. We threw in a backup. <laughs> I just throwing that out there. It was, it was wonderful it, because, um, you know, there, there are nuances and rules and you can't touch it for a certain point. And you have X, Y, Z. And if it goes over your head, you block and the guy behind you, whatever. We had not done that. And I'm, I don't mean to critique, but I am sort of analyzing what I saw. Um, we, a kid got chewed out. And his response was very candid. Like, I honestly didn't know that I was supposed to do that. And, and the, the response that he got from coaches was like, how do you not know you're supposed to do that? Don't you ever watch football on TV? And like all this kind yeah. of stuff. And it, it seemed very, um, it was off. So I feel really embarrassed. I've, I've had an iPhone for a long time. I've cracked my screen twice <laughs> for, for it, and I cracked it the other day. But I do want to show you this. That's the, there's football and, and basketball. This was last night. Um, so we do exactly what you're saying because I am, I mean, we align on this perfectly. I, you have to practice attention. This, I use this, this some looks like your team is practicing, is doing some yoga moves. They're doing some yoga and some mindfulness. And I try to frame it in a way, I use the words that you were just saying. I'm like, when, all, when everything goes crazy, and I promise you Friday nights are going to be a little wild. You can come back to a certain set of things. One of them is um, the way that you react to things and how do you come back into that moment? What's like the tangible in the moment um, practice to come back into the moment to find your way back? It's just breathing. And we do, we breathe in through the nose, out through the mouth. And once we hit that a few times, now we kind of resurvey the field and, and then try to figure out what our next step would be. But you can't just tell someone to just chill or breathe on a Friday night. You have to practice that. Exactly. To build it. Yep. You are so, what you train. You are what you train, no question. And that is never truer than when your heart rate's up. Than when your heart rate's up, there, no doubt. There's if, no doubt. You just fall back to muscle memory. That's it. Um, you're right. I want to get to this idea. How did you find your way into your current career? Okay. Is that fair? Sure. Because I think people, I mean, that is going to attract people, not, not only the story of that, but just your career is like, you are doing that in a way, like a business meeting, please. Right. The stuff that you engage with on a daily basis, that's the ultimate display of heart rate could be up. And here's me sort of the calm within the storm here. I'm going to get I'm, this is a yeah. favorable comparison. Here's you, Tom Brady in the fourth quarter, chaos all around, pull it together and execute in the face of that. Yes. Well, uh, I mean, that's flattering, but uh, a really, I think. Um, what it comes down to is this notion that there is a there's a, there's a skill set that if you embrace it, um, it's available to you when you need it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think a lot of folks think that when the stakes are higher, that you kind of get away from the basics. And um, I get a lot. I, I train a lot of of crisis negotiators. I teach a negotiation class in MBA school, mm -hmm. and um, folks are like, "Hey, why?" Why would we benefit from techniques that you use in hostage and crisis negotiation? Like mm -hmm. we're talking about business. And the truth is, is that there is a lot of shared DNA. There are, the concepts are very, very similar and, and, and completely overlapping. And that folks usually treat those negotiations, those interactions, those conflicts as life or death anyway. Mm, yeah. that's, that's the level of ego and identity that they're bringing to them yeah. that like, Hey, this, this, this could be crushing. This is my rest of my career. This is this, this is me walking in the back door. Right. 
mm-hmm. and my and and it's and it's and it's a life or death decision on whether my kids are living in a van by the river, or, wow, they, you know, amazing, you know, future they have because the backpack didn't land on the on, on the back door. Right. So, um, that's I think the. Um, you know, one point worth making. I think that people do put so much emphasis on things that they are treating it yeah. like it's just a high stakes thing, even if in the context of the rest of the world, it really isn't. Right. So we might as well prepare like it is. Right. Well, you, the nervous system doesn't know the difference. Like it doesn't. You said. Yeah. It doesn't. And from, from a psychological threat or identity threat to physical mm-hmm. threat. So how I get started in this is, uh, you know, I grow up uh, an athlete, um, you know, an awkward you know, gangly kid who's, you know, uh, not sure when he's going to stop growing and always wearing floods because, uh, either I'm getting them from a hand-me-down from a brother or, um, or, you know, we just can't keep up with it. Mm -hmm. And I find my, myself in swimming and having grown up and played all the sports, um, and really loving it because I felt like it was a place that I could, uh, distinguish myself. And I, going back to that kind of notion of identity, like mm-hmm. who are you? Totally. And and how how are how are you unique in the world? Mm-hmm. Which which we all kind of uh, at some level are seeking. And I you know I think largely because a brother was swimming, mm-hmm. and uh, it was kind of an imperative for my father. You know he would he would take the the park district handbook out and basically say every kid had to sign up for a couple things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that one of seven kids when he came home he knew that he wanted tired, yeah. quiet <laughs> yeah. kids. Yeah. And, uh, and if the park district could tire us out before he got home, he was, he was good with that. There you go. And swimming was just one of those things that he it's knew. exhausting. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> so we all were kind of raised swimmers and, uh, it was really in high school where I started experiencing some success mm-hmm. and, um, that cycle of like, Hey, you know, you, you put the work in, you focus on something and you really start paying attention. And then that relationship, so you, you, you sort of see these all, the ingredients of um, high performance sort of coming together of, hey, I had maybe some sort of aptitude, then I started working, and then I started getting relationships, both with teammates, sure. you know, with peers, and particularly with coaches mm-hmm. that um, validated me. And um, I wanted to do stuff that would get recognition. I loved hearing, hey, that was great. Right. Um, but you know, focus on this, fix that. And just taking that to heart that I wanted the next time I pushed off the wall for that coach to say, Hey, you got it. Yeah. Right. You know, you fix that. Yeah. And then that, that sort of self-improvement cycle just started, uh, you know, the pump was primed on it. Right. So I wanted to perfect what I could. And you know, it's one of those things where you never are perfect, but you just keep trying. Uh, and, um, that's really was my identity. In the in the mid '80s, I I was uh, you know somewhat of a local accomplished swimmer, hoping to kind of make my mark. Um, so people, when I walked in a room, if 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 I was frightened of everything else, I was pretty sure I was probably one of the best swimmers in the room. Right. And you know right. what? If I ran into trouble, I could run to the lake and go swim away. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which was it was still is a pretty good backup plan. Not so bad. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, um, where it really gets challenged for me in a com- completely um, earth-shaking and unlikely way is I arrive home uh, from uh, the University of Illinois my sophomore year, literally 
May 19th of 1988, I come home from school, having trained in the morning, finished my last exam in the afternoon, and arrive back in Winnetka to um, start summer work and summer training for swimming. Um, back to house where I hadn't been, you know, probably for a couple months um, back in the house. And there's few of my siblings are still there. So the next morning, unbeknownst to me, somebody had been planning a sort of a terroristic attack on the whole community. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, there's a lot of uh, data now that says that uh, it's important not to highlight perpetrators and give okay. them much recognition, even though this one is deceased. Sure. Um, no point in. Um, so we'll just call this the Winnetka school shooting. Fair. And this p- took place in 1988. And the perpetrator um, was very unusual. It was a 30-year-old woman who had mm-hmm. planned for months to attack the community with firearms, with cyanide gas devices, setting fires and sending poisons throughout the community. And it culminates with her entering a second-grade classroom in Winnetka and opening fire on second-grade students. In the course of her escape, she crashes her car near my childhood home and enters the house. Um, a hostage situation ensues that involves uh, my mother, father, and I. Everybody else is either at school. I've got two sisters at New Trier, a little brother who's uh, at a local grade school. And everybody else was either away uh, at school. I actually had a brother who was in the police academy at the time. And um, we're basically faced with an hour and a half hostage situation at gunpoint. And, um, you know, this is probably could be its own podcast. It's sure. just like, you know, it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's a two, two hour, two beer story, I think, to get through Fair the enough. whole thing with all of its uh, nuances and details. Um, but we are able to uh, communicate with her. And, it, and, and I would say that the skill set that we've talked about earlier in this podcast about uh, empathy and understanding. One, we didn't know anything about what had taken place. She didn't say anything about it. What we knew is that somebody was in distress. We were threatened, sure, but we just responded with, hey, what's happening? Who are you? What's going on? And responding without judgment. Um, and um, that worked to our favor. Um, she was willing to let my f- folks go. Um, we were able to uh, get her to make a phone call to her fo- her parents yeah. and let them know where she was, um, hoping that that would alert other folks. And um, and then I was left at gunpoint with her uh, alone, hoping to just find an opportunity to disarm her mm-hmm. by myself. But knowing now that there weren't, uh, you know, other uh, potential targets in the kitchen, particularly my folks. So. Um, this really just falls back to, you know, you are what you train. Um, all I had going for me that day is that I was uh, in pretty good shape. Yeah. Um, probably about the best shape of my life right. to that time. And uh, I thought I could move fast, yeah. you know, like a swimmer at the start of a race. Um, so I was looking for an opportunity to disarm her, which um, sort of comes. She takes a look to the side and I think this is it. And before I'm really even in motion, I see a flash and I hear a pop and I think she's shooting at me. And I dive for cover and uh, hit the floor in a pantry. I scurry up, slam the door and kind of get in the door jam um, thinking, wow, she might shoot through the door. Like, you know, she's, she's trying to kill me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and uh, I'm listening and I don't hear anything. And that's when I feel some constriction in my chest. And I look down and I see that uh, I got blood oozing out of the right side of my chest. Uh, what I learned later is the bullet is, is struck me in the right side of the chest, um, went through both of my lungs, uh, put a hole in my esophagus, grazed my pericardium, put a hole in my stomach, my pancreas, and then it got lodged in my left lat, um, which was kind of funny, you know, you know, for, for, the, for the, the swimmers out there, yeah. you know, swimmers generally have well-developed lats. And, and at the, in the 80s, you know, we didn't care too much about core strength. Mm -hmm. So uh, they, I was shot in my sort of soft underbelly there. And took some ribbing about that when I got back to uh, sw swimming from my uh, from my teammates, but um, I'm I managed to uh, uh, come out of there and uh, um, she's gone at the time. What happens is she goes up to an upstairs bedroom where she takes her own life um, sometime after I get out of the house. But I managed to get out of the house and get to first responders, and um, and and really what's going through my head then is I can't believe what just happened, but I've got this uh, constriction in my chest and this, and this heavy sense that I'm, I'm kind of suffocating. Mm -hmm. But I, um, it's not really that frightening to me. I know it's something that I got to work through. And what, I, what it feels like to me is, you know, the last yards of a race mm. or a short race where you don't breathe at all, where you're doing a lot of hypoxic work. And, yeah. you know, as swimmers, you train that way. So uh, I really benefited from this idea that I thought I could control my breathing and manage it, even though I was trying to really kind of sucking for air, mm -hmm. but didn't panic with the sensation that it was very difficult to breathe. Yeah. And um, that really sustains me. So at some point, I moved off the driveway and first responders come to me and they've, you know, they're cutting off my clothes and they're starting IVs and giving me oxygen. And there's a lot of panic. And... Uh, uh, I, nobody's really paying attention or talking to me. Nobody's really in my face, but, but the sense of what's happening seems bad. Mm -hmm. um, people seem anxious and worried. And, it, and I'm thinking, this must be bad. Because I don't know how the, the, the internal damage. I just know that I've been hit in the chest right, and right. that it hurts. Um, and then I'm having trouble breathing, but I'm managing to breathe. And uh, eventually somebody comes to my face um, and it just happens to be an emergency room doc that uh, is off duty and he lives in the neighborhood mm -hmm. and he hears the commotion and he walks up and he comes right to me. Now this is, comes back right to this kind of notion of you are what you train. Guy's seen a lot of stuff, an emergency room doc, right. you know, as opposed to potentially, you know, first responders in, in the context of 1988 right. in, you know, a very sleepy suburban um, context. Sure. Um, He's not afraid. He's, he's walked up to a lot of people that are in worse shape than I am. Right. And he goes to my face and he talks to me. And the one thing I say to him, because he's saying, hey, I want you to stay with me. I want you to stay awake. I want you to keep breathing. And I tell the guy that I'm a swimmer. That's what I say through this oxygen mask. And um, I convey to him really everything that I think that I am and what I'm doing. And he responds, hey, swimmer, you stay with me. So we have an incredible rapport established in a few words in a very highly emotional, highly volatile situation. And we're on the same page. Yeah. He, I believe that I've translated to him that 
I've got some background. Mm-hmm. This, this breathing thing is, and I'm working hard. And that's how I identify myself to the world. Mm-hmm. And he says, all right, because he listened to it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we pack up when we go to the emergency room. So, um, so the, you know, longer story short, I survive. Uh, I, I managed to um, return to swimming that year. And it is all about the relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very difficult to make a comeback. I'm coming back having been the captain of the swimming team and coming back and not performing mm-hmm. or able to practice like mm-hmm. I used to. And people are supportive. People yeah. are encouraging. People um, want to see me succeed. People challenge me. They feel you could do this. Yeah. Hey, uh, you know, pushing me, asking me still to lead a lane, knowing that it's pretty tough for me. And it's a whole year about a comeback with people surrounding me and saying, we want you with us. Yeah. And it was tough because I didn't feel like I belonged with them anymore because I couldn't compete with them because I, I couldn't keep up physically for months. Mm. So that's my... Uh, that's the context in which, you know, I see um, athletics and sports. I know that it has tremendous carryover mm-hmm. into life and the lessons learned. And for me, I, I, I think that beyond the folks that did amazing things that day for me personally, sure. let alone what they did for other people, the, um, you know, swimming sta- saved my life that day because it gave a context for me to um, evaluate my situation and then act upon it. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think the things that we learn through play, through athletics are, uh, are lasting important. And, uh, I, 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 I always think about the analogy of, um, you know, lacrosse, uh, as you know, the, the, the history of lacrosse, I mean, mm-hmm. it started at that, that that's, was a sport originated by native American right. Indians. And, um, it was to emulate warfare. Mm. Um, so they would they would teach um, folks to 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 play a form of lacrosse because it mimicked tactics that were used for battle, and knowing that you know you you don't want to send people into battle and that they, they weren't formally training right. that that this is a real great way of giving people the footwork and the teamwork and the skills to to and and the conditioning. Mm-hmm. that allowed them to perform when they also needed to. And, you know, that analogy there that, uh, you know, we're not always um, preparing for warfare, right. but we, we are preparing for interaction and engagement. And some of that's conflict-oriented. And um, I think that folks that are really being wise about raising young athletes and, um, and integrating youth into uh, play and recreation – recognize that they really are teaching them and um, that this, the, this is that learnable, trainable skill that can have put somebody on a life trajectory right. of you know, how they interact with the world and how they interact with other people, building teams and taking criticism and getting feedback and improving themselves. And those are all things that organizations, people, you know, individuals need mm-hmm for high, high performance, for better outcomes. Yeah. I'm still, uh, in the wake of the, 
of your story. So, uh, <laughs> sorry, to, sorry, sorry to launch, but it's, it's more no. efficient if I just tell it. I think, it, I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. And, uh, thank you for sharing it. Sure. Sincerely. I don't know. Um, I assume you've told it before. Yes. So I don't know what your relationship to it uh, is at this point, but um, I, I, I think it's incredible. I think it's absolutely incredible. And you just took, you took the preparation through sports to its top end threshold. So not everyone's going to get that sort of real world application from the things that they learned. But I, but I think it is a good way. Uh, it, it can serve as a really powerful metaphor just for that idea as, you know, in general. And I love that. I thank you for bringing up the lacrosse thing. I'm going to have to look into that and including some of the stuff that I do because like, you know, there was intention there. Sure. It was tapping into these natural human um, propensities to move and interact and, and be part of a community and whatever, but it was preparation for warfare. And one of the questions that we always ask is what are you coaching for? Mm -hmm. You know, are you just, if you're just coaching basketball, I think missed opportunity, you yeah. know, that, that's a missed opportunity. Um, so what you, yeah, what are, are you, are you just coaching basketball right. to win? If you, know, you just want to win basketball games. Right. Right. And that, that, you know, it gives me goosebumps to say this, the folks that get that you're actually, you know, uh, impacting lives here, yeah. that, that this is not what folks, you know, it's, it's really cool, but yeah. very few get to be the champions, right. but everybody gets to the chance at learning. Right. And, and, um, you know, building this, this skill set that could be really, um, world changing, yeah. you know, to send that on, out in the world as somebody that knows how to function, you know, and get feedback and, uh, work with a team and give feedback and do that in ways that are really productive, yeah. that uplift folks. If you're doing it right, you're changing lives. No doubt. Not everyone gets to be a champion. Everyone gets the chance to learn. I'm going to write that one down too. This yeah. is good. Um, all right. Well, again, thank you for sharing. Sure. Thanks for spending this time with us. Uh, you have a constant invite. If we, if you ever want to, oh yeah, anytime, I mean, anytime. The 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 beer the beers element sounds like a fun component. Right. If we ever sure. want to dig into some ideas more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I hope this is not the last conversation. So I think yeah. people are going to learn a lot from this. No, I, I and if you haven't covered them previously, but the, uh, you know, talking about the access to sports today and mm -hmm. access mm -hmm. to play. Yeah. You know, like two weird things are happening in our country. One, sports are become in in some ways in a great way becoming more organized. Like we're we're professionalizing coaching. Yeah. And that's fantastic. So we should be able to expect more of coaches. Right. We should expect more of the things that we just talked about from coaches. Mm -hmm. That it's not just like, hey, I'm putting together a team and we're going to win. Right. But rather I'm, I I want to impact youth right. and, and be in the business of producing really you know, high level quality, mm -hmm. um, folks. Um, the other piece is that there is a trend in this country where, um, getting access to organized sports is becoming harder. Mm -hmm. And so in areas that are resourced, it's really easy yep. to pay for another travel team. Mm -hmm. And, um, but in less resourced areas, sports participation is down. Yeah. And we know, you know, just, just like with that lacrosse scenario, that if folks don't have those opportunities, they miss out yeah. on this, this whole socialization um, uh, piece that, that, that will help them be successful. Yeah. And in many ways, that could be a really effective way of changing lives in less resource areas. So we've got to close that gap that's increasing. 
And, and the other piece is just around play period. Yeah. That as we've professionalized coaching, that the fields are now filled with organized sports. Yeah. And you don't see the pickup game. You know, it's the, the, the two cubs that head out into the field and start wrestling. Just tussling, right, you know, right, and, and that's right. learning too, right? right? No doubt. And and learning how to put together a game that there is no adult around. You know, how it's team picked, how the how how's the score kept, how the rules kept, um, you know, how's the culture created. Um, those skills aren't being learned because we're we're dependent on nobody goes to the field with a ball. Right. Just to play. Yeah, without you know, the schedule and the snack and the and, and that's another trend that I think it's wor- worth exploring uh, totally. a, a, another time. I think so, too. Well, I wonder if we could almost use that as a cliffhanger. I don't know what your availability is like, but I would love to pick this up. I, fe- I feel like I think there's a lot to be said here. I think it's really valuable stuff. And I almost as a secondary cliffhanger, if participation is down, I would go as far as to say that um, for every docile creature among us, there is an intense counterbalance. And I would say that if we don't have sports, you talk about an unaddressed emotion, uh, it, you know, stays the way it is or whatever. Um, if you have a propensity to be aggressive, if you if you if you love challenge and love physical interaction, and you can't find a healthy outlet for it, like you said, like you will find an outlet for it. Yep, it won't doesn't have to be healthy. No, nope, we're incredibly you, resilient. Yeah, and you know, I know where you're going with that. You yeah. know, when you see. Um, the, the, in, in the communities that we see lower participation yep. and lower access to organized sports, you see more crime, you see, you more see yeah. less healthy ho- outcomes, um, because we need those yep. and, and we've needed those through, throughout our existence. Right. Um, so it's, it's not a leap to say, Hey, this is a great is way right. of, you know, positioning people for better outcomes. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I would love to. Well, there you go. All right. Hanger established. It was well, a lot I, of fun, dude. I, a lot I, of fun. I'm, sincerely, um, he's been talking you up for a while. So I've. Thanks, Al. I've, <laughs> that's right. But uh, I really am grateful. This week's episode is brought to you by Remind Recover. Remind Recover is a supplement that helps athletes support brain health. Similar to how you drink a protein shake to help your muscles recover after a workout, Remind Recover has been scientifically formulated to give you the nutritional building blocks to help support healthy brain function. I am a huge fan of Remind Recover. It is as close to the science as any supplement I've seen, and feel free to check out their website for more. It's remindrecover.com. And when you go there, if you want to place an order, and I recommend it, use the code GOODATHLETE for a discount on checkout.